like oh hmm ah i'll have to think about that (laughs) oh yeah interesting (laughs) just for future editing help this is the start of the episode greg i sit here with my coffee i have made can you see it in the camera i have made yes again pour over truly the uh yeah the most high maintenance of all the coffee efforts and only because I knew I needed more coffee for this podcast than I would be able to make in a single AeroPress. So we finally found the one mm. use for the pour over, and I am enjoying it. <laughs> How's your coffee journey Very going? Nice. It's going well. It's going well. So I'm still sticking with the uh, drip coffee maker that I got, the cheap one. And it's doing fine. Um, but the it has finally happened to me. The thing I knew would occur. <laughs> and... I'm not sure I was ever ready for it, but I bought whole bean coffee and I don't have a grinder. Oh, I so saw now some I had... notes. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it was funny. I actually didn't buy it. Mary bought it uh, on my behalf, uh, but I would have done the same. Like they're just really yeah. indistinguishable in the aisle. If you just run through quickly, you can just easily grab the whole bean versus the the ground up coffee. So now I have a, a bag of Starbucks whole bean yeah. Pike's Place medium roast sitting on my counter um it's so trivial like i'm not not gonna return it so i guess i'm just gonna hang on to it and one day i'll have a grinder i suppose and and i'll get to enjoy that coffee yes one day i don't know it'll be interesting how you feel about how it tastes to that point because there's like a wide range of opinions on how long you can have uh roasted but not ground coffee and Mm. the more obviously the more the coffee you get the less tolerance you have for that generally unroasted coffee is like as long as you want probably like six months would be fine but roasted is where you start getting time limits so i don't know it Mm. depends on when you're going to run into a grinder you could always i don't know like the stores have those grinders in them i wonder if you could just ask to walk in and grind it and leave again wherever you bought it (laughs) i didn't think about that but yeah you're right and i also thought do i take the the next step and just buy a cheap grinder just because i now have the reason to because you know, I accidentally acquired a bag of, of whole bean coffee. It's worth some thought. Um, yeah, I don't know. So he, here's my take on grinders. There's two kinds of grinders. Have we talked about this? No, we haven't. Okay, so there's two kinds of grinders. There's um, burr grinders and blade grinders. And they work fundamentally differently. Like a blade grinder is actually blades that chop the bean up into pieces. And that is what you will get if you buy a cheap grinder, a blade grinder. Um the problem with that is that it breaks the beans in kind of randomly sized chunks and you don't get good consistent grind size, which actually is a pretty big problem for making coffee. Because if the grind size is different, if, if the grounds are of different sizes, some of them will be over extracted and some will be under extracted when you make coffee using different methods, which sounds like nothing, but it probably will actually make a difference. If you like tried to make drip coffee with espresso grind, you would find that it was way too strong and you'll have issues like that or it'll be too bitter. Um, so if you use the cheaper grinders, at first it might be fine, but I think very rapidly, once you've gotten to the point where you're grinding your own coffee, you're going to want to upgrade to a burr grinder. And so unless you're able to find a really cheap blade grinder, I'd probably probably discourage you from getting it. But if you find a really cheap one, it, it's worth a try. But burr grinders do start to get up to like 100 bucks. It's yet another big use of money in the, you know, the exploration of coffee for no reason. Yeah. That's what I had noticed. What would be a cheap blade grinder, in your opinion? You know, I haven't looked in so long. I'm not sure I ever had a real blade grinder. I would guess you could find one for like 30 or 40 bucks. 
Like it's okay. just at the point where you could buy it and it would be a lot cheaper than a burr grinder, but it would feel silly to buy both if you knew you were going to end mm-hmm. up getting one. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I have the cheapest burr grinder that I have found is uh, burr. Well, at least with decent reviews is a hand grinder, a burr hand grinder. And even that is like 80 bucks. Um, so it's pretty hard to get a good burr grinder because burrs, from what I understand, burrs actually mash the beans. So they're like uh, almost like a mortar and pestle approach where you're like pushing down mm-hmm. into, to break it into pieces. And that keeps them a much more consistent size. Uh, and that's why mechanically they're much more complicated. I see. Yeah. So that's, yeah. It, there's a lot, a lot of information <laughs> there for you to consider. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of have stepped into a, <laughs> a landmine. stepped into something I didn't quite realize. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I would uh, probably just see if you know anybody who has a grinder and just see if you could borrow it for a day. That's easily the best approach. Yeah. Hey, Ethan, do you want to <laughs> yeah. ship I'll me come, a grinder? Come four hours away and drop <laughs> off my grinder. That's for where they got. I have a travel grinder. I, I, uh, I'm not sure I mentioned this last time, but oh yeah, I did. Uh, that I was making coffee at my parents' house. And so I have that hand grinder I mentioned. It's like, it's still kind of expensive, but for how much I drink coffee, it's been well worth it. Um, yeah. Just an 80, I think $85 hand grinder I take with me. So I do have an mm-hmm. extra, maybe. Maybe someday I'll drop it off. Just swing by. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see where we go from here. Yeah. We did. I did end up grabbing some just some more ground coffee. Have you tried new brands? Yeah, I have not actually. So I've sort of gotten into my groove where, for the time being, I'm feeling good with just buying the Starbucks brand coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bounce back and forth between the light roast and the medium roast. Uh, I think I prefer the light roast slightly, but not not so strongly that like I still enjoy the medium. So mm-hmm. I flip a lot back and forth, um, and I'm probably gonna stay. Starbucks uh, in this oil. place yeah for a little while just you know get my legs under me <laughs> get really used to being that a coffee drinker really yeah. get it etched into my identity <laughs> so have you i'm curious have you had the chance to try other coffee drinks like either in the past or now since you've started drinking coffee like lattes espresso yeah i've tried them a few times uh i don't understand how the difference is i know that like espresso is a lot stronger and it's a smaller amount of coffee. Lattes are like creamy, right? They're, They're made whipped with milk. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I've like had them um, just randomly, mm-hmm. but I'm not experienced at all. I'm intimidated when I go to a Starbucks. The menus are, are so vast See, this is, and yeah, complicated. This is the next frontier, Greg. You can learn the Starbucks menu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so f- my approach to going to Starbucks is I'd like a light coffee. In a small cup, yes. please. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, do you mean venti or whatever? Yeah, that, I, I still have to say no. to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious if, if you do end up trying some of those, what your opinion is now that you're drinking more coffee. Because I feel like you may notice the, the flavors more. Because I actually think that the, a place you notice a uh, difference in co- coffee quality way more than drip coffee is espresso-based drinks, especially the smaller ones that are like more concentrated. There's like a huge difference. Actually, Starbucks isn't very good for those. Um, but there's a huge difference in like the quality of taste of these espresso drinks at like a Starbucks. Or if you find a really good coffee shop, you'll notice immediately like this is way better. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's always a fun thing to explore too. But very much outside the realm of making coffee yourself. I don't think anybody should really own an $800 espresso machine, which is pretty much what you'd have to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's, is, it's lattes where you get the nice pictures, right? The foam art. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. It's them pouring steamed milk over the espresso is how they do that. Gotcha. Yeah, that you okay. know, I don't think anybody needs to do that, but it is a thing. Some coffee it's shops part of really the experience. Don't. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's interesting. I'm I'm glad to hear it's still going well. Um, have you encountered any new challenges other than buying whole bean? No. I do have a couple new coffee mugs on the way, which uh, I'm really excited about. Yeah. They're insulated. Oh. That, I guess, let me backtrack. Yes, I have found a challenge in that it's that my coffee gets cold. Oh. So I'll pour a cup. So my first cup of the day, I, uh, I drink pretty quickly. Like, it doesn't have a chance to get cool. Mm-hmm. But then I go for my second cup, and that one, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to babysit it for a while, so to speak. Like, I drank it a little bit, but I'm working. I'm focused on other stuff. And it often occurs where I go to take a sip, and it's really cold. Yeah. And there's still half a mug left. And I feel like, okay, maybe I should just power through and chug the rest of this, or do I just dump it? And uh, that won't be a problem as much uh, in the near future because I have some insulated mugs coming. So are you getting like the plastic uh, travel mug kind of things? No. Well, I don't think so. I So I bought these online. Okay. I believe they're steel. Oh, okay. Stainless steel. But they are like there's a, a layer of insulation between. Correct. Like a, okay. Some kind of a travel mug. Okay. Yeah, it's like a travel mug. Well, the one is a travel mug, a 20-ounce travel mug. They had a 10 and a 20-ounce size, and I thought the 20 was more appropriate. Because yeah. you can do cold drinks and hot drinks. So I went to 21 for some for some versi- uh, versatility. And then the other is a 14-ounce coffee cup. I'm, I mean, you can use it for other things. If you were camping or something, you could put like oatmeal or whatever in it. But it has a handle, like a coffee mug handle, and it's still steel, stainless steel. So, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully that's good. It has yeah. a and it has a coffee lid on top of it, like it has a plastic insert lid that has a small hole for drinking out of mm-hmm. on the side. So it's really the it can be used for many things, but the, I feel that the primary intention was drinking coffee. Yeah. Okay, well, you'll have to report back on how those are. I have found a huge variance in how much I like different kinds of travel mugs. I find the ones that are too metallic, especially if you drink straight out of a metal part of it, I find it tastes weird. And I I think there's actually like a chemical reason for that. Um, But some of them don't have it, so maybe it's a different kind of finish and stuff. Um, So we'll see. I'm curious to hear. Yeah, well, I'll let you know. Excellent. All right, well, from from one uh, delicious sustaining substance to another, on to Huel. I hear you're oh, back yes. on the Huel, Greg. I am back on the Huel. I'm on the Huel train. So I ordered two bags. Um, after we talked last time, I just had this urge where I was like, you know what, I need to try Huel again. The formula has changed. I think feeling. it might fit my lifestyle right now. So I went for it. And... I have I have strong feelings about a few different things. The first is they have gone the complete wrong direction on the t-shirts. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> so surprised. Yes, the to most hear important this. thing to, <laughs> The most important thing to talk about when it comes to a food substance is the free <laughs> giveaways that, that come in the box with it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So, I last time I ordered Huel was a few years ago. 
And at that time, they had 100% cotton t-shirts. And that's what I have. I have a fuel, a, excuse me. <laughs> I just blended the word fuel and fuel together. That was cool. <laughs> so I have a few fuel cotton t-shirts. And those are the ones I was talking about last episode that are excellent. So they're not stretchy like, is what you're fan. saying. Exactly. So now they're a blend. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something 60-40 polyester cotton, something something around that. So they are very stretchy. The material just feels entirely different. It's very thin. Uh, it's flexible. It feels like it it has some moisture wickening property to yeah. it, but I don't know that. I can't it feels a little bit yet. like those faux athletic shirts that were like copying mm-hmm. Under Armour and Nike a couple years ago, but not quite as cheap as that. Like it feels a little bit more like a shirt, but still to me, it just felt wrong when I first got it. Yep. Yep. I'm with you completely. I think they should go back to the original t-shirt design. Yeah. It's so much better. It is so much better. I mean, it's seriously night and day. Like the other, I can see why you would cut the sleeves off of this new one, like immediately. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I got it, I was like, "Well, this shirt is for when I'm using bleach." Or yeah, I don't like. Yeah, you'd never wear it around. I agree. I agree. Except once you cut We're, the sleeves off, and then you'd wear it everywhere. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Well, of course. So that's my first hot take. There is t-shirts. Big thumbs down. Yes. Huel, you need to go back to the original cotton cotton blend formula. That was way better. Now on to the actual Huel product. Uh, the the 3.0 formula is a big improvement from what I remember. Uh, I'm not sure what version I had. I don't know if I had the 2.0 or like a 1.0 or one point. I don't know what I had. Mm. But uh, what I do what I do recall is that the formula that I had was 500 calories, whereas this new formula is 400 calories. Yeah. So they've made a pretty uh, drastic change to the formula. Uh, in terms of composition, because the calorie counts down a hundred, and uh, I think you use a little less powder too, and a little less water. Like I feel like all around, oh, really? it's mm. a little less. Yeah. Um. So I got two flavors. I got vanilla, and I got peanut butter. And I'm sorry to say, but the peanut butter is a bit of a disappointment. It's a bit of a disappointment. I know, like like me, you are a big fan of peanut butter. You really like <laughs> we, peanut buttery flavor, we are both big right? Fans of peanut butter. Yes, yes. I like strong peanut butter flavor. Mm-hmm. When when we're talking peanut butter, like I really want to taste it. Like that's, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Like I'm like I want the peanut butter. If I see peanut butter, I'm expecting like it's as if I've taken a scoop of peanut butter out of the jar mm-hmm. and ate it, <laughs> I'm with mixed you. with whatever your product is. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, it's not that at all. It's a it's a slight like peanut buttery kind of hint to it. It's like it reminds me a lot yeah. of if you buy uh, natural peanut butter that's like almost solid. Like, have you ever seen this? It's like basically dry peanut butter powder. Yes, um, yes. It, I got that once, and this tastes a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And it, I agree. It's I not actually, very good. It's not nearly as good as the vanilla. No, it's not even close. Uh, it actually. Right, so this is from my memory, but I feel that, so the last time I used Huel, I would get the base vanilla flavor, but I would add peanut butter, the exact thing you're talking about, like a dry peanut butter to it, and I felt like that was actually better than this peanut butter flavor they're producing themselves. I do wonder, like that kind of makes sense to me though, because they can't afford to add extra calories, because both the vanilla and the peanut butter are 400, and so if you add mm-hmm. an additional flavor, yeah, you get to add a little more fat and sugar, but I think that that's probably the constraint. That's just a guess. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I agree. So, 
yeah, peanut butter, bit of a disappointment. Probably will not pick that flavor up again. But the vanilla is a huge improvement over the original vanilla. It's like the clear winner between the two that I got. Um, it's great. It's really, really it good. It is really, really good. It's, su- <laughs> it's surprising to me how much vanilla flavor and like the sweetness they're able to get into the powder for how low the calories yeah. are. And like, I think it's only four grams of sugar. It's not a whole lot of sugar, but it tastes sugar, pretty yeah. sweet. I totally agree. Uh, yeah, I, I also had the version 1.0. Um, so my old roommate had a couple old bags, and I and he had like too many basically, and so I paid him for a couple of those. And one of them was version 1.0, which I didn't realize till after. And I so I went through a whole bag of that and noticed a huge difference between that vanilla and the current. It's funny you notice yes. how you you said about how much vanilla flavor there is because I actually don't think it tastes very much like vanilla. It just sort of tastes like a neutral sweet oaty thing like it definitely tastes like oats i think way more than it tastes like vanilla. yeah um but it is i think i'm flavor. conflating vanilla and sweet together yeah, it's like plain it's like the epitome of like a natural plain flavor not like lacking flavor mm-hmm. but like neutral flavor like vanilla like well yeah but not like what vanilla actually <laughs> tastes like. i feel like we've just decided as a society that vanilla is a synonym for neutral flavors even though it doesn't actually taste like real vanilla but yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, what does vanilla even taste like? Because nobody knows. vanilla extract is terrible. Yeah, nobody's nobody's actually when you eat to it. taste vanilla. <laughs> right. I don't think a vanilla bean is very good to eat. I don't know. Nor I have is tasted the vanilla extract. extract. As a child, I definitely did that, thinking it would be good. Well, it smells it incredible, nice. and it yeah. tastes <laughs> terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. Right. And that's actually a pretty interesting thing, where... Because smell and taste are so closely related, you would expect something that smells as good as vanilla extract to taste good, but yeah. it doesn't at all. I, I one time read that um, it's more prominent with smells, but your perception of something's taste or smell is altered by what it's usually eaten with. So like people who come from cultures that eat almonds in sweet dishes think almonds are sweet, but they're not. Um, and so maybe we're experiencing the same thing there where we notice it with smell, but then you taste it and you're like, this is very bitter. I don't know. Yep. Just a guess. Yeah. I think I think you're on to something. So my last point with the Huel is, so I've had it with water, which is okay. It's okay. But man, if you want to take your Huel to the next level, put it, mix it with almond milk. I'm way ahead it of you, It is Greg. so much better. This is what I do. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Wait, I'm preaching to the yeah. choir. No, like, <laughs> I, I tried it with water on day one as well. And then I tried it with milk and it was way better with regular milk. But I was like, I don't need to drink this much milk. Um, and so now I do half almond milk, half water, and it's great. And almond milk I has see. hardly any calories, for it, which no. is surprising given it does have a significant difference in the taste. But almond milk itself, yeah. speaking of things that taste terrible when you taste them, almond milk, terrible, so bad. So I don't understand why it makes the Huel so much better, but it does. Yeah, I've used almond milk to me. I wouldn't classify it as bad. Like I can drink almond milk just straight up. Ugh. I don't think it's... I don't desire it, but I, I also don't find the flavor. Well, let me prep. Let me let me caveat it with the fact that I always get the vanilla. Oh, I've been milk. buying plain. Yeah. Yeah, that is a difference. It's bad. So well, that's the thing, because yes. with okay. all the other milks like soy milk and oat milk and probably vanilla almond milk, they're almost as sweet as real milk. But plain almond milk, you taste it and it's just you expect it to be kind of sweet and it's so bitter and lacking in other flavors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I go with the vanilla. Yeah. I don't know. You should try it with the plain because it, it has like 30 calories an entire cup of it. And it is uh, good with the Huel, but bad on its own. Mm. Gotcha. So, yeah, mixing it with the almond milk is a huge improvement. 
I don't. I haven't tried any other types of plant-based milk. Yeah, I so. I tried soy milk before. It was fine. It uh, basically because it's unless there's a really compelling reason, I'm just going to stick to the lowest calorie milk to mix with it because it's the tastes are pretty similar. So that's kind of where I've landed, and that's almond milk. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense to me. So yeah, I think on the whole, like Huel has been good. Like I've been glad to. Uh, I'm I'm happy with my purchase. I expect to buy it again in the future. Yeah. I really like, obviously, the convenience, right? So 11.30, 12 o'clock rolls around yeah. in about a minute. I have my lunch prepared. I'm back at my desk, right? No interruption. It is it's pretty best. great. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, I was going to save this for our like actual topics beyond follow-up, but we've already taken a while on follow-up, so we'll just, I don't know, we'll just treat these as regular topics. So I have tried the solid food version of Huel, and I have some reviews. I'm interested to hear this. Okay. So there's there's two flavors, and let me let me pull up their website to make sure I get it correct. But the one is Thai green curry for sure, and that one is actually pretty good. Um, it's I think it's four or five hundred calories in a serving. It's pretty similar stats to the powder, but a lot more sodium. That was the one thing where like the powder does not have very much. It's basically if you look at the nutrition on the powder, it's like this is miracle food. This is exactly your nutritional breakdown you should get in every single way. Um, but that is not true for the solid food. And I'm not surprised because they probably desperately need to get some flavors in there. So that one is actually a bit spicy and overall just good. Like I would eat it. It's not a very large serving though. Like it's always a little bit disappointing, just like the powder. It's like, I would eat more than this, but with solid food, I feel like I feel that more where it's like, mm. ah, that's a real letdown. Um, but it, it's, it's more than edible. I would definitely eat it. Um, uh, but I wouldn't like crave it ever. It's just like, okay, this is a hot meal. So the way it works is it also comes in a bag like the powder, but it's not powder. Instead, it's like a, uh, a rice and other very small vegetables mixture, small enough that they fit in this bag and, and sort of the bag still feels like it's full of powder, but it's really just like slightly larger things. Um, and then you, you boil water and pour the water in, stir it and let it sit for five minutes which is actually kind of nice because if you have you like a kettle, you just start up the kettle and then when it's done, you pour the water in and you're done and you just wait for five minutes to eat. So I have to say it still brings a real convenience benefit for a hot meal, um, which is nice to have once in a while. The other flavor I've tried is tomato and herb and that is bad. That is real bad. <laughs> it is just the most bland blah food you could have it's it tastes exactly like what you would imagine if somebody told you that they ordered a uh hot meal in the mail <laughs> and uh and yeah it's not good it's prepared in the same way it has similar stats i think part of the problem is that because that's their only non-spicy flavor my guess is they're trying to add flavor through being spicy and like salt and what uh, they probably don't have a lot of options to get like flavor in the actual food that one not yeah. being spicy, they can't really cover up the natural blandness of the food. <laughs> um, so that one, that one is a would not buy again. Thai green curry definitely would. There's a third flavor I haven't tried yet, uh, Mexican chili. But the very last thing I will say about it is it's much more expensive per meal than regular Huel. Not horribly, but um, I think regular Huel is like two thirty a meal, and this one is three thirty a meal, which is, I mean, pretty big markup. You buy a bag for like. 35 bucks or something and you only get seven meals in there so it's just kind of a different value calculus but i think that it does not to me it does not represent the same kind of a benefit as the powder does maybe occasionally i would drink it or eat it but not that much 
Yeah. So your experience matched up with what I expected to occur. So I'm glad you went through this for me (laughs) and I didn't have to order hot food through the mail and and be this disappointed. Uh, But yeah, so when I got my Huel package in it was a a little booklet of the Huel products and what they offer. And I went through, I flipped through the the little booklet and, and I noticed the hot meals and for a while, I was really confused by it because there's not much description in the booklet of how you actually prepare yeah, this food. The same. So I was like, what the heck is going on here? So I had to go, I went on the internet and Googled it and it actually took me a little bit. Like I had to click, I had to click on a few different links. I like, fi- oh, and maybe, really? <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm just, a, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for, but like, I just felt like it was harder to get to the preparation instructions than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. And I had this feeling like, is Huel trying to hide something? Like, <laughs> do they want to give a perception that it's one thing and not the other? Probably not. <laughs> I just, I think they just didn't think, think through what they put out. But, um, yeah, it, uh, I read the instructions like boil water, pour it over, let it sit for five minutes. And as I read the instructions, I was, I was like, well, Huel may surprise me, but this does not sound like it's going to be very good. Like the way you just prepare this food, I'm, I'm, yeah. So I don't think I'll, I'll uh, be purchasing any of that. I have seen the Huel Black Edition. Yeah, that right? is not of great interest to me. What do you think? Yeah, I can see why they made it as a product line. I can see why it appeals to some people, but I don't think I would go for that over just the the basic Huel. Yeah. It's not all that different. It's like little less carbs, more protein. It's, I think it's a more lot more meal. protein, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how much more. Maybe I think 20 that's grams. The whole pitch. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, they really push it hard. Um, but it is yeah, it is not of interest to me. Same with the already made shakes. It's like I understand that could be handy, but like when do I not have a cup and a spoon? <laughs> like it's just not very yeah. hard. Um, yeah. I do think that the bars that they offer now are of interest to me. Oh yeah. I could see that being a nice grab and go meal replacement. Yeah. I don't think I would ever feel that a bar is a meal replacement. Like at least, so what I've done with Huel is I actually add more liquid than you're supposed to. So it feels more filling uh, and that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But I think I would always feel so unsatisfied with the bar. I would just end up eating lunch anyway. Or yeah, I don't think it would help very much. And I, I need that so rarely. I don't mind buying like less healthy stuff for that. Right. I see. Yeah. I feel like I'm a, I, I quite like having a bar around for convenience sake. Perhaps, maybe real meal replacement isn't the right way to think about it, but definitely like more than a snack, less than a meal. It seems like it's more filling than just a plain granola bar. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about if I would ever try it. Maybe. What I really hope about um, the uh, Huel solid food experience is that they iterate the same way they have with the powder, because from what I can tell, the powder yeah. has gotten a lot better. As you said, um, and I would bet that if they get feedback on this and work on it the same way they did with the powder, it could actually be good because there's real promise in the one that was decent for a first try at a solid food product that is just five minutes and boiling water. It's pretty impressive, I have to say. Um, and it's it actually looks like real food rather than just a mystery powder. So I, I'm impressed with what they've done and I hope that it continues to improve. Yeah, when you put it that way, I agree. I think that they there is... I think I think it's likely that they will improve on their formula just like they have with Huel. 
when you said that though, it did remind me, uh, when I was looking through the booklet, as I looked at the hot, hot food section Mm -hmm. in it, it said, want more spice? Add hot sauce. (laughs) And that just makes me laugh because it goes back to that point of like, there's not much room here for experimentation with flavor. It's like, you can get spicy flavor because there's really no calorie impact here. And that's the same thing with hot sauce. Hot sauce has basically no calories. Well, but it's funny because if you look at most hot sauces, they do have a lot of sodium, which kind of explains why these are higher in sodium than you might expect. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess they will probably continue to be spicy. It's really not that spicy, though. Like, I will say, I used to be pretty good about spice. Now I'm, I'm fairly average. But I think that most people, even people with not a very high spice tolerance, wouldn't be terribly bothered by it. Um, but they might not love it. It's not It's yeah. not like eating Indian food at a restaurant, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, we'll see. We'll have to report back if there's more solid food flavors. There is that one other flavor, so I'm, I'm tempted to try it. We'll see what happens. Okay, yeah, I will be. I'll be with my current Huel uh, shipment for probably through the next month. So it'll be a while before I'm like. They're so slow at shipping. So slow. I have to order like two weeks in advance because it takes them so long to get the bags to you. I can't figure out why. Oh, that's interesting because that was not my experience at oh, all. Oh really? Oh. Yeah, I ordered it and expected to have to wait a week, and like two days later, it showed up. I was surprised. I walked out to check my mailbox and. There was a package waiting for me, and I was like, what is this? Oh. I opened it up, it's Yule. I don't know. Maybe I, I – it is hard because I only order things from Amazon and a coffee place called Happy Mug, and those places both ship things to me within like three days. So maybe I've just been spoiled, and it feels like a long time. But it does feel like a long time. Yeah. No, it may have been longer than two days, but I, I don't feel like it was very long. Hmm. It was like surprising. I was surprised when I got the package. I expected to wait longer than I did because – I remember the last time I ordered Huel years ago, it took it was like that. It took a week or two to get it to you. Hmm. Maybe I just got lucky. I just ordered some earlier this week, so I guess we'll find out when they show up. All right, so let's let's talk about video games. Did you give up on the PS5? Did you have any luck? Yeah, basically I've given up. So I haven't like given up all hope. So I still subscribe to a couple of Twitter feeds that their entire purpose is to tweet out when stock is available at different retailers. But I've had zero luck uh, because I'm not going to sit here and monitor my Twitter feed uh, all the time. And I can't just drop what I'm doing in the middle of the day when stock drops. But stock has dropped. So so these are actually coming in. Okay. That's kind of surprising. Yeah. I've seen actually an uptick in the past week or two of regular stock drops now it's hard to un, to know really how much stock is available when a retailer says hey we have some more playstations available but in the past week i think uh walmart and playstation direct so like sony's website and a few other retailers have all had stock drops hmm, where that's kind of surprising. Say, hey it's open yeah, I think that maybe production, they've smoothed some hiccups. I'm not sure. I was I hadn't had the time, but I thought about trying to research how many PlayStation 5s is Sony producing each week. Yeah. And you're not going to get like the hard numbers, right? But there may be some industry analysts who are making estimates or whatever. For what purpose? I'm just interested to know what that number is to understand how quickly is supply going to be able to meet demand? Mm. 
Like, okay. should I set my expectation that in about three months I'll be able to get a PlayStation 5, like, pretty easily? Or do I need to set it to being, like, six to 12 months? Yeah. But I don't know. Would you get that answer from that knowledge? Because you don't know much about demand. As long as they keep I have a pretty out. good idea about demand. Yeah? So, okay. Well, I... Let's say they produce, uh, they produce 10,000 a week. When do you think you'll get one? Okay. Oh, not till the, this time next year, I'd expect, if it was 10000 a week. Okay, what's your intuition? I would be ex- Why? I'm, I think that, well, I'm basing the number of how, like, PlayStations that are in demand on the number of PlayStation 4s that sold. Oh, which, okay. If That's I remember, smart. and now it's hard to compare it directly because playstation 4s have been around Mm. for seven years or something and this is a brand new product i think that over the lifetime of the playstation 4 something to 20 to 30 million sold units sold maybe more Mm, okay now i can say with confidence that the number of this was when the playstation first dropped last month the number of playstation sold in the first week was over that of the PlayStation 4 in like three months. So there's much stronger initial demand for the PlayStation 5 than there was the PlayStation 4. Uh, I think that there's easily 5 million more people that want to buy PlayStation 5s. Yeah. I mean, every time there's a stock drop, it's out in about 30 minutes. Yeah, it would help to know how big now. So I'm just these are all I want to just caveat this. I am just spitballing. I don't have any real insider information about any of this stuff. uh, So consulting case study when they are not case case interview. Yeah, you just make up a bunch of numbers (laughs) Mm -hmm. and write them down and then you impress the client. Oh, yeah. And I'm good at it. So here we are. No, (laughs) perfect. (laughs) Just throwing out numbers. (laughs) Uh, So, okay. so you're not going to get a PS5. Are you going to build a PC? No, I'm actually stuck on for the same reason there. I do want to build a PC, but I want to wait until the 3000 series NVIDIA graphics cards are available, which those are maybe arguably even harder to find than a PlayStation 5. Oh, Uh, They sell out so quick. Um, There's basically no stock available anywhere. And when there is a stock drop, it's gone just like a PlayStation. The PlayStations haven't been. So I think that... It's a, just a combination of factors. It had been a it has been a long time since a new console version and a new graphics card chipset has dropped. Uh, there's a lot of pent up demand, I think, because of uh, everyone is it's been stuck at home and they're looking for for ways to entertain themselves. So, uh, and you get you add that in with the fact that it's Christmas time and yeah. there are a lot of parents who who want to buy things for their children and you know try to make what has been a tough year. Uh, have a bright spot at the end. It's understandable. All of that adds up to immense demand and not enough supply to go around. What's interesting is the Sony, I want to say it was their CEO, had said, this was a few weeks ago, but they said all stock is sold, period. They said there is not a single PlayStation 5 that is not sold. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, you know, I spent... Uh, last year trying to build demand for this new console i was communicating to our fans like what the value proposition of this new console Um, and i'm paraphrasing here i'm adding stuff but he said you know i'm trying to build demand um, but now there's no supply and 
<laughs> I scratch my head a bit and I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying. Like you spent the, you spent a lot of time building demand. You want to sell the product. I get that. But didn't you have some idea of how many people would want to buy this, given the fact that you said you focused on building demand for over a year? It does seem, yeah. And if so, why didn't you match supply? It does seem like we should know more about why they're in short supply. Like what something, there must be some component that is hard to buy right now or something, because it, this seems so obvious. I don't know. It, it's unclear to me what's up. I think that my guess is it has to do a lot with supply chains being affected by coronavirus. So yeah. That's one part of it. And and I think too is that uh, a lot of console new consoles go through this struggle where it takes a while to ramp up production. So I think it's already hard to ramp production up on a brand new console and you add in the, the all the other difficulties of this year. I can understand why they weren't able to build up a stockpile of product and why every time i i believe the way they they are based on the way that the stock drops are occurring now i feel that they have worked out some kinks where the new product that's coming off the line so to speak um and being and being prepared like is ready to go they're able to get that to the retailers more efficiently so every week as new playstations are produced i think those are getting moved to the retailers pretty quickly and then each week those retailers are saying, hey, we have some supply. But you really don't have a clear idea of how much supply that they have. They just say, PlayStation's yeah. available, wait in the online queue, and if you're <laughs> lucky, you can have you can have one. Um, oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. I wonder if, uh, <laughs> you know, there will there be business case studies on this example in the future? Yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, for the time being, I, I do not foresee myself acquiring a PlayStation. I would expect... At this point, sometime maybe in the spring, uh, I might be able to get one. We'll see. Hmm. Well, I wish you luck. Yeah, it's not. It's really not a big deal. My PlayStation Four is fine still. <laughs> I'm still playing Zelda a lot. Uh, I was. Uh, I played a little bit this morning actually. It's good. Yeah, it's very good to do like in focus bursts when you want to accomplish something or mindlessly wander around the map and do random stuff while you edit a podcast that is the the primary functions of zelda for me so i knocked out another one of the divine beasts right before this um and now i'm stuck in the the yiga highlight hideout the yiga hideout if you recall that where is that on the map uh it's uh, it's in the west but it's part of like doing the camel divine beast quest gotcha but yeah you can't get detected basically or you get killed immediately and so i'm it was a little tedious yeah, yeah. If I remember that, you're up in the mountains, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that being a difficult little section to navigate because the mountains are quite harsh in terms of enemy and environment. Like, it's cold up there. Yeah. But then you soon get into the desert, which uh, presents its own unique challenges compared to the mountains. Yeah, so I, I won't I say any more. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah so that that part has gotten a little it's funny because it's already more difficult than the entire last divine beast it's like the difficulties of these things are not equivalent um no and i kind of like that though because i really like the way that zelda is laid out as a video game yeah. that actually reminds me is i i uh i watched an old donkey video one of my faves where he talks about video game design yes and how do you 
the evolution of it. It's one of his better essay it's videos. Great. It's a really, yeah. really good. It might one. be the best. Yeah, I think that one is excellent. Yes, it's 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 so good. It's so good. I really and the jokes in it. I mean, I'm a big Donkey fan, so I his humor really one. hits with it. Yeah. It's good. He said, he said it started. He starts with Pong as the example. He said the Pong cabinet had instructions on it, and it was it was like use paddle to hit ball to obtain high score. And then his joke is with this insider information, gamers were able to <laughs> go out and ex- and whatever conquer. It was so funny. Anyways, he he points out that in Zelda, you take the concept of an open world design. And rather than putting in really specific spots in the map where the game, quote, unquote, the game occurs, uh, rather than taking that approach, you just put the game everywhere. So any direction that you go is the right direction, Mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the brilliant things that Zelda did. Yeah. Now, circling back to your point of this area is like more challenging than the previous boss and area that you were just in. I really like that because... uh, it creates a lot of variability in your gameplay um, because you don't know, like there isn't a set path that you need to, to navigate down and that the difficulty uh, slowly increases That's as true. you move along that path. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely really well done in so many ways. I just, I don't really like anything to be challenging enough that I have to play it more than once. This is just me with video games. I have no patience for trying over and over again in video games. It's like, if I can't beat it on the first time, ah, infuriating. I'm just here to just like get validation that I must be amazing at this game. I don't want to lose. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. Cause I think I, I was, I was like that before, but now I've really, my gameplay preferences have really changed and now I enjoy that difficult challenge where i don't mind repeated attempts yeah. as long as there isn't too many annoyances uh within the re- like oh, getting to the repeat yeah i just have no patience for it because that was i think i've mentioned i love the witcher i thought the witcher was great and i early on discovered you could enable god mode so that you would never take any damage and it vastly improved oh, yeah. my playing experience i just left it on the whole time and i was like this is the way i want to play all my video games and it's one reason i like pc games because they can actually do that where you can't do that with consoles usually yeah, yeah, you're right. No, I'm a yeah. We're in different camps on this one. Well, I like a little challenge. You're playing Dark Souls, so it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, it's actually uh, funny because I've started Dark Souls two, which is oh. the Dark Souls I haven't played yet. Yeah. And uh, I have, I have mixed feelings about the game. It's certainly still a Dark Souls game, in a lot of ways. But uh, the one thing that has surprised me is the relative ease of the bosses in this game compared to the other ones. Oh, is that disappointing? Yeah. It's yes and no. Part of it is like a bit of validation of like, I've become a better yeah. video game player. Like I've learned how to master dark souls. And then part of it's a little disappointing where I'm like, Oh, I really wanted a challenge. And it's like, mm. I'm wiping these bosses out. Now I haven't gotten through the whole game. There's still plenty of left. So that you know it may it may come back to bite me that i'm saying it's easy uh but so far what what's been interesting about the dark souls 2 compared to the other ones was the actual environment has been really challenging to navigate like the first few hours were brutal how so well they changed a few core gameplay mechanics in this one which actually really hurt me because what i expected to be the case was not true so you played one and three right so the middle Correct. one is the only one that's different? That's so strange. Yeah, it was directed by a different person. 
So I think that is partly, partly like I think a different within from software, a different team worked on the second one compared to the first and the third. Um, so that explains part of it. What the one thing that they changed that really threw me off and made the first part of the game really hard till I figured out and understood what was going on was they introduced a new character attribute that they called agility. And now with the Dark Souls, it doesn't really always like clearly explain what these things mean. <laughs> yeah. It'll just say like, you know, intelligence is a thing. And they're like, you're like, what does intelligence do? And it's like, intelligence is useful for magic. <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're like, well, that's a broad, that's not a very descriptive explanation about what's going on. So agility, it just is like, you'll be more agile. It's like, well, of course. So what does that actually mean? Well, what it means is like, your run speed and how you can roll and how long it takes you to perform actions is changes as you gain more agility. So you get faster at stuff. Mm -hmm. And what really they changed was your invincibility when you're performing different actions. So when you roll in dark souls, you get into you're invincible for so many frames. Okay. In the first and the third, that was a set number that didn't change. Like, you get, I don't know what the number is exactly. You get 12 frames of invincibility when you roll. Mm-hmm. That's it. That is not true in Dark Souls. It's dependent on your agility. If you have less agility, you get less frames of invincibility. If you have uh, more agility, you get more frames up to a, a cap. Wait, we should we should step back here. For people less familiar with video games, I feel like there's a couple things we threw in here. So, the rolling is like dodging, right? So, it's like Correct. when you jump out of the way and you like roll on the ground at somersault and get back up. So during that yes. time, you're immune to damage from the enemy for a certain number Correct. of when you're saying frames, you're saying like frames per second type frame. So for a certain yes. amount of time, basically, you are invincible until you're done with the rolling. And that's affected by right. this agility attribute. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's a good exp- explanation. And if, if for those who aren't familiar, like the difference between having 10 frames versus 13 frames can feel really different. Yeah. It could be the difference between what you think is a safe move and one that will get you killed. And that really threw me off for the first few hours. I was like, why does I, why do I feel so sluggish? Why am I getting hit all the time when yeah. hmm. this movement I performed in the previous games was, was good. So does your agility start low and you need to get it higher some way? Yeah, it's like the same way as all your other attributes, strength. How do you? Is this collecting souls? I don't understand much you about col- the actual mechanics. Yeah, you collect souls by defeating enemies, and then you can spend those souls as a form of currency on levels and other things like gotcha. equipment and magic spells and stuff like that. Okay. So you can level the agility attribute. It might not... You can level... It's not agility. I don't... It's something like the actual attribute is adaptability and that increases your agility. Okay. So, I know. I know. Convoluted. <laughs> the point being is there's an attribute you can level up, which improves your agility and then makes the game actually feel like the other ones. I see. Um, and once I figured that out, I guess I should backtrack a bit and say when I started Dark Souls 2, I said, you know what? I'm going to go in blind. These other games that I've played from FromSoft, I used guides Mm -hmm. like i would not hesitate to look up a video to understand where to go or look up the wiki to understand something this one i was like you know what i'm experienced enough now i'm gonna go into that i'm just gonna figure this one out on my own and for the most part i've done that so i feel like i feel like i've achieved my my goal there but (laughs) the problem was with this game is i didn't anticipate 
them changing some of these core mechanics. I just assumed it was going to be the same. Yeah. So I died a lot at the beginning because I didn't, I went in thinking that I should prioritize attributes like I did in the, the first two games I played. And that actually wasn't the case. Ah, uh, yeah. Guides got to use guides. I am, I'm I quick to cave and look at guides unsurprisingly based on the play style I've previously articulated. <laughs> yeah. Where you want to be invincible yes. <laughs> where you want God mode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I normally am too. And, and, and I'm fine with it. I, I honestly have little patience for getting lost, mm. which is funny because my favorite game is Dark Souls. And most of the time you don't know what you're doing if you play blind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it actually turned out as I, so I'm like at least over halfway through the game, I believe. I don't really know because I'm not following a guide, but I have realized that I went to places out of order mm. as what you would do if you followed a guide. Okay. Which isn't surprising, so to isn't surprising at all. But what has surprised me is I accidentally went through what I think is considered a late game area and I already beat the boss and everything. Uh-oh. And I cleared out that area and I think that most people players, if you know what you're doing or you follow a guide, you're not gonna encounter that area until later in the game. So now I'm beginning to wonder, have I hit the point where the game has like difficulty has flattened out? Yeah. And actually from this point forward, the difficulty is going to continue to decrease because I, the area I went through was challenging, but I was able to get through it and I was able to beat the boss. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know what the rest of the game holds for me. Interesting. There are areas I have not been to yet, so there may be a spike in difficulty, but. So do you have access to all the areas at all times in Dark Souls? Yes and no. So, in Dark Souls One, you do, but you're often you're you're normally not you're not strong enough to go to a lot of the areas to start. There's basically a path of least resistance, and through experimentation, you can figure out oh. which direction you should go because the enemies there don't kill you in one but shot. But only through they, experimentation. Yeah, or use a guide. Okay. Yeah, in Dark Souls Two, it's much the same way, but there are are areas where you can't access them until you either meet a non-playable character and talk to them and they help you do something or you acquire some item like that unlocks a door or Mm. you can like get rid of some barrier but for the most part you can't go anywhere and if you want to you can prioritize it so for example in dark souls one there's an area that's locked off by a magic door and to unlock the door you need to buy an item from somebody that you meet earlier in the game. That item is really expensive. So there's a trade-off between buying the item and unlocking the area or you leveling yourself up or buying new equipment because everything is bought in souls. You buy the only form of currency is souls. Okay. So you can say, you can make the calculus and say, you know what? I rather unlock this area. So I'm going to prioritize saving up all this currency yeah, what if the area turns per- out to be really hard so you were supposed to have saved that souls. happens yeah so that seems like uh, that happens <laughs> seems like a bad trade-off yeah i mean it can easily get you burned because you can say you'll be like oh i could have leveled my character up so much but now all i've done is unlock this area that i'm too weak yeah. to go into but the reverse can happen you can unlock an area and then you know get through it and acquire a bunch of new stuff and and yeah, it, it works out fine. It just you really don't know, and that's part of the fun, right? Is exploring and, and figuring out. I think that that's part of the game design. One other surprising thing I learned about Dark Souls—I don't know if this is true of all of them—but um, 
have, have you watched the girlfriend reviews channel? Yes, I, I'm a big fan okay. of girlfriend reviews. Okay, I like some more than others, but I like the Dark Souls one for sure. And they mentioned that if you lose enough, they actually add more uh, enemies. Yeah, that was with Demon Souls, I believe. Oh, is there? What did you watch? I think most it must recent? be Demon Souls that I watched. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't had the pl- chance to play Demon Souls yes, of course. yet, so I can't really I can't really speak to it. But I do know of that it's mechanic. So puzzling. Yeah, they call it world tendency, and it's really just a negative feedback loop, right? So <laughs> yeah, for bad players, you this die, is bad. and then they make it more difficult on you versus making it easier, right? Uh, and the same is actually true in Dark Souls Two to ex- an extent, to a lesser extent. Yeah. When you die in Dark Souls 2, you lose a percentage of your health and your stamina. It just <laughs> it becomes totally permanently wrong. unavailable. <laughs> I know. It actually... It, I have mixed feelings. I can understand why they put it in, but in some ways it really annoys me. I'm not me. sure I can the, understand why they put it in. What is the purpose? It's to incentivize you to play carefully because there's a high cost of dying mm. as compared to other games. Okay. Most games you die and it's meaningless. That's yes. not true in Dark Souls. You're going to lose your stuff, which sucks. But not only that, there's a permanent side effect or semi-permanent side effect of losing a portion of your health and stamina. The mm-hmm. way that you undo this is you consume an item. But those items are hard to find. You can't just buy them. You you just pick them up as you explore. And I think the... I should I should save my, rear, my, my thoughts until I'm fully done with the game, but... I am aware that the item you need to reverse this curse, we could call it, is finite. Oh. There are only so many of them in the world. I I do think that there is some places later on where you can try to farm the item. For those who don't know, farming in a game <laughs> is like doing a repeated task over and over to get the items that you want. So you kill this same enemy over and over and over. You just make them respawn and, and then you can farm the item. But the drop rate is really low, is my understanding. So there's just some weird problems with it where if you're going to add in this negative feedback loop, I think you need to be you need to allow the player to be able to undo yeah. that uh, as much as they need as much as they need to. Because if you're really bad at Dark Souls 2 at the beginning, which is totally reasonable yeah. if it's your verse one and you don't know what you're getting into, you could easily consume all of the available uh, item really early on in the game. Like you can con- easily consume all that you could find early on. Yeah. Hmm. And that's not like, that's not friendly, friendly at all. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good game design. No. Like it's, it's a little bit too harsh. Yes. I agree. In my opinion. Uh, so anyways, with Demon Souls, I know that there's this world tendency, and I know they talked about it in Girl, uh, the girlfriend reviews, because uh, the boyfriend did die yeah. a whole lot in this one area, and it spawned like one of the toughest enemies yeah. in the game, and which caused him to write die more often. Yeah, that's the problem. More. It seems yeah, it's a vicious cycle. I don't understand. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of strong feelings about Demon Souls world tendency. Uh, I've. I have refrained from from a la- exposing myself to too much. I trusted girlfriend yeah. reviews. I've I've watched enough that I knew I wouldn't really spoil too much for myself. Um, but I have really not watched um, anything because I want to en- experience it for myself. 
Um, but I, I was aware of that as a mechanic from the original game. And I know there are a lot of strong feelings about it. Well, I think this one too, they take the step to actually explain to you the world tendency. And there's like a screen that you can see and understand like where you oh. sit on this balance. And whereas the original, I don't think did that. Hmm. I don't think there was a, really any explanation. I just think some people would be like, hey, like suddenly there are these really strong harder. enemies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't understand why. And people are like, Good luck, dude. Dark Souls is <laughs> that didn't just happen bizarre to me. to me. Yeah, it's so interesting. It just appeals to a certain mindset that I, I just have the opposite of. Every part of it is. It sounds so unappealing to me. <laughs> I mean, intriguing. I, don't, I but think not that's an. Yeah, I think that's an appropriate reaction. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite still by far is not by far, but my favorite still is Dark Souls Three. Yeah. Of the Demon Souls Dark Souls series. I also really liked Bloodborne too because I liked how they mix things up and the combat was really different. But in terms of like taking the Dark Souls experience and refining it to be the best that it can be, I feel like Dark Souls 3 achieves that. Have you played that or even seen that like Japanese ninja game that's supposed to be very much in the vein of Dark Souls? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have not. No, I've not seen that. I'm not sure I'll be able to think of what it's called, but it's supposed to be super, super hard, and the graphics look incredible. Um, is it Sekiro? If, yes. Yeah, yeah that's Shadows from Soft, too. Yeah. Oh, is from it from them? Oh, I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Oh, okay. I thought it was somebody else inspired by them. Okay. Nah. Is that was, on your list? It act- I own it already. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah that so, looks really... like It just looks like it would be fun, except that I know I would hate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a beautiful game. Like yeah. They have taken the, whatever their base engine was for like, Dark Souls 3 and like put it to the mat. It's so good. It looks beautiful. Now, Sekiro was the first one I tried from software games and I got probably 20% in and I quit. <laughs> Seems pretty far to me. Yeah, it was really hard. It's harder than Dark Souls to me because oh, really? Yeah, the Dark Souls gives you options in how you want to play. You can be a really strong uh tank of a, of a knight. When I say tank, I mean you can take a lot of hits. You have a large mm. health bar, you wear really heavy equipment that protects you, whatever. You're slow, but you're like a tank and you can deal a lot of damage. Or you can also play f- as a sorcerer where you cast magic, you keep your distance, you're relatively weak, but your, your ranged attacks are really strong. And there's even more. There's a whole bunch of, you can combine these, you can design a character to work, play exactly how you want to. Mm-hmm. Sekiro does not allow that. There is no variation in gameplay. You play as a samurai. I w- shouldn't say there's no variation. There's very little variation in comparison to Dark Souls. You play as a samurai. You don't get a shield. There is no magic. Uh, you have to learn how to parry your enemy's attacks. So a parry is when an enemy is attempting to strike you. You time. You perfectly time a a block attack that that staggers your enemy and then you're able to attack them. So the the whole game is built around this parry mechanic that exists in Dark Souls, but they really elevate it and emphasize it in Sekiro and I'm not very good at parries. I'm not that good at them in Dark Souls and I really struggled at them in Sekiro. So I think once I go get through the rest of the from software games I'm going to return to Sekiro cuz I want to say I've beaten them all. Yeah. Uh, but it, I think I will have the hardest time with Sekiro because I'm just not... I never have really played as a parry-oriented 
yeah. character. I struggle with that in games where you're supposed to do that. Even in Zelda, there's like a parry mechanic, and yes. I think I've executed it once, and mm-hmm. I find it so difficult. It is really hard. I remember in Zelda, I was able to figure it out in Zelda eventually, but I, and I could do it semi-consistently, but I would still get hit. Like, I would try yeah. to go for a parry, and if you miss, a, the, the problem with a parry is it's high risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. If you miss, you're going to take the hit, and sometimes that's death. Yeah. Uh, Versus if you execute the parry correctly, you get a critical attack and you do a lot of damage. So it's it's uh, it's a high risk, high reward type of, of gameplay. But in Sekiro, you have to do it. Sekiro emphasizes sneaking around, choosing your engagements carefully, and above all, parry. Like you need to be able to parry. But the thing that confused me about Sekiro was sometimes you could only beat a boss by parrying. Like you have to parry. There's just no way around it it's designed that you would sort of a skill check like you better have mastered the parry or you will Mm, not beat this character versus there were other ones i encountered where that was not you can't beat them with the parry you need to get up in their face and strike them a lot and wear down Hmm. their their guard and that kind of really threw me off it actually kind of aggravated me because I there's no indication. There's not like some kind of yeah. symbol that says this is a parry person versus one that you need to you know get aggressive and fight them, and that just leads you to dying a whole lot, thinking you're yeah. trying to do the right thing when you're doing the exact wrong thing. Mm-hmm. The donkey video on Sekiro is, is very good. I really I enjoyed agree. that one. Yeah, I like I might it too. Watch that after this. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a real good one. Uh, the last moment in my Sekiro gameplay, I remember, was I was climbing up some large building. Like, I'm on these rooftops. And there was a really aggressive enemy that could fly around and throw these really devastating knives at you. Yeah. And I cleared out this whole rooftop, which was really hard. And I was like, okay. Like, I've done it. I, I thought. I cleared this out. And I thought all I needed to do was, like, run around this corner and... And jump through a window, and I would be at a checkpoint. And as I'm doing that, out of nowhere, another one of those enemies comes <laughs> in and strikes me in the back and kills me. And I was like, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> so that yeah. was my last moment of Sekiro. <laughs> I've had so many moments like that with video games where I just put it down and I'm done. For me, have you played Far Cry 5? I have. Okay, so that's the one where you're just randomly pulled into cutscenes, and then suddenly you have to do these mini missions. And yes. One of them just got me, and I was like, never again, Far Cry. And I just put it down, and I haven't picked it up. I was like really close to finishing, and I was like, nope, this is stupid. I think I, I know like which one you're talking about. Were you like, the one where you, like yeah, you run through shooting at like ghosts in a kind of dark building, and yeah. I was like, it, every time it gets longer, and I was like, this is dumb, and oh. I don't enjoy it at all, and I wanted to skip this. Ugh. Yes. I know, exact, I know that exact moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was not a fun part of the game. I didn't think it, Far Cry 5 was strange to me, where some, the gameplay of it is pretty fun, like, you like rampaging and flying Yeah, everything outside around. those mini-missions, yeah. Exactly. Like, the actual story is no good. Yeah, terrible. The, I don't, the world I don't know why they insist you, yeah, and, but they insist you deal with it. Well, also, mm-hmm. I like it because you can, like, unlock people who help you which obviously makes it much easier. Right. And it's like, now you can roam the open world with no fear, which is exactly what I want to do. Cause I can't turn on God mode and far cry for some reason. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but then you end up in these mini missions and you're not with anybody. It's just you and you have to do them the way you're supposed to. And they're not very fun. And I, uh, I was just really annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. 
Well, Aww. the other game on my mind is Cyberpunk, which we talked about briefly last time. And I actually made a note as we were talking here, because I knew we were about to talk about it. It popped into my head um, to buy an SSD because I do want to get Cyberpunk and I'm out of disk space on my Windows computer. So I should I should get two day shipping on an SSD so I can actually do this. Um, but I was thinking, especially because it's just fun to talk about video games and like hear the differences and like know a little bit about what other people have played um so i don't know that i'll finish cyberpunk but i feel like it's going to be one of the ones where i am glad that i tried it and have something to say so i'm probably gonna buy it uh this week well awesome i look forward to hearing about it i want to hear about your experience with it i am not planning to buy cyberpunk so you'll have to tell me what you think about it yeah i'm just scared of open world games now i failed at enough of them to know like they just don't work with my brain like the way i like to play games i get overwhelmed yeah i do too a little bit definitely a little bit but um they also just what i want out of a video game often is that i don't have to give it my full attention i can like listen to a podcast or something and open world games tend to work a lot better for that yeah i agree which kind of speaks to the format of the game it's like a lot of it is sort of empty filler yeah you're just running around looking at stuff yeah Mm mm-hmm from what I've seen, it is a massive game. Massive in that the map the map isn't huge, but the density of stuff within the map is is oh, yeah? large. Yeah, like the world really feels alive from from what I've seen. Like the there are a lot of uh, characters all over this world. It's very vertically stacked. So oh yeah, it does look that it, way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a densely populated city with uh, that emphasizes verticality in it. Um, yeah, it looks like an interesting game. I think that CD Projekt Red will continue to refine it and update things and change it. And I expect it to become a really popular, yeah, long-lasting game. the The question becomes, you know, where does it stack up against The Witcher? That's, That's the, the problem Just with the studio. Just because it's CD Projekt Red, I have to try it. Yeah, but I exactly. also think my expectations will be too high. Yeah. Right. Right. Because, yeah, that's the problem with CD Projekt Red as a studio or any studio that sees, you know, a lot of success on a, on a game that nobody was really expecting is how do you follow up with, with your next game and how do you, can you really live up to the hype and the expectations? Well, especially this one because they kept pushing it back. Yeah. So yes. I'm sure expectations are sky high. They're really not for me. Like, I, I hope it's good, but I don't expect to love it the way I love The Witcher. Um, right. But yeah, that's knows, healthy, maybe. then. <laughs> yeah. That's healthy expectations. <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to play the whole thing. I just, well, I have a lot of uh, vacation I'm burning at the end of the year. I have two full weeks off. So I might as well have a video game in the background to kill some time during that. So I, I was like, well, yeah, now's the time. Yeah. That seems like a good one, too. Like, you can you can sink your teeth into it. There's plenty to do and interesting stuff to see there's like variability in how you it is an rpg so you can craft your character yeah. and pick how you yeah, there's a real it. story usually games get me by having a decent story which is another thing that attracts me to open world games often yeah yeah, yeah. have you played red dead redemption 2 no i've heard really mixed things about it yeah i i'll refrain from saying anything because i don't <laughs> i don't want to yeah, I don't want to. Have say you anything. played it? I've played it. I have it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was just wondering because, as you say, you like open world games. That's one, like you said, there are mixed opinions. So I was curious, like if you had played it, what did you think of it? 
Yeah. No, I, the problem is there are a lot of promising-ish games like that, and unless they really enter the zeitgeist, I'm not... Like, so much of what I want out of video games, I don't really think that video games are good for me. They're a good cooldown sometimes, but I tend to get more into them than I really need in terms of recharging. Um, but the one value I do see of them is, like, it's almost like seeing popular movies. Like, I don't really like movies, but I do see popular movies sometimes just to, like, be able to engage in conversations. And I feel like being part of the cultural zeitgeist in video games is also like that, where I just appreciate having some knowledge about it and being able to exchange with other people. Yeah. So... Red Dead Redemption 2 did not seem to quite get that big the way some of these others did. Although maybe I maybe I'm misreading that. No, I don't think you're too far off. I think it certainly was a popular game, but I don't think it's entered the gaming zeitgeist of like one of the best ever. People always talk about it, people compare other games yeah. against it. I don't think it quite hit that level like the first one did. Oh, did the first one? I guess I didn't know that. I think it did. That was a little bit before my gaming time. Yeah. Uh, but I know that a, I know that a lot of people really loved the first game, and the there was a long wait for the Red Dead Redemption Two. People were very mm. excited about it. What studio is that? It's uh, Rockstar. They also make Grand Theft Auto video. The oh Grand yeah, Theft Auto I series. something else big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have some my thoughts around Red Dead Redemption to our that it was a really promising game but i feel that they sort of emphasize things in a way that i I wouldn't have gone with like it's hyper realistic Mm. in a way that i get what you're going for like you want to make this feel real but at the same time like this is a video game and i know it's a video game so like quit making me do all the tedious, st- tedious stuff. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like that's a big miss. I often feel the way about sports games is they get more realistic. Sometimes they incorporate more realistic stuff you don't want out of your sports games. Like, yeah. I don't know. Animations of the halftime show. It's like, get this out of here. here. That, actually, that is the ultimate pet peeve of any video game. Every sports game makes you watch at least 10 seconds of the halftime show before you can skip it. And nobody likes it. I don't know why you can't skip the halftime show. I'm it's with just you. so annoying. There should be it's a setting. The, the makers are just trolling us. And they it's are. across EA and 2K. They're both annoying us just with these stupid halftime shows. Yeah. No, you're totally right about that. That's one of my huge pet peeves. There's so much filler in sports games when you go to when you go to start a game, it's like you hit a loading screen, and then after that, it's like the pre-broadcast that I don't care about. Then it shows like yeah. a shot of the court and the team running out and like introducing them. Don't care about that. Like I want to go from clicking play to the tip off as fast exactly. as I possibly can. So once I I did once learn that a lot of the the loading at the beginning is because jersey renders are actually really graphics intensive because there's a lot of like wrinkles and detail that go into jerseys. And so since teams could be wearing different jerseys each game, they have to live render before. Okay, sure. Willing to give them all that time they need in these boring cutscenes nobody likes. But not at halftime. The teams yeah. are wearing the same jerseys. Nothing has changed from the first half. There should be no re-rendering that needs to be done. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but I can't see what it could be. It's the same teams. It's just like the first to the second quarter, but now it's the third. Why do we have to wait through this? I mm, that, one, that one gets me more than the others. Yeah. One thing I always do when I play 2K is I go in the settings, and there's an option to turn off cuts between dead balls or just like oh. fouls or whatever. I didn't know that. Turn that off. So a lot of times you'll like... Even when you make a shot, so sometimes you'll make a shot and then the camera will cut to like looking at Steph Curry go like, yeah, I made a three. 
and I can't stand that. It's like, no, yeah. I want there to be no, I want to be in the game the entire time. Like if yep. the opponent, if I make a shot, just cut back. Like I just want to go to defense and yep. vice versa. If the opponent makes a shot, let me inbound the ball as fast as I can. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I'm I'm so tired of watching the same halftime shows over and over. It's always this one guy riding a bike upside down in 2K19, and I've seen him ride the bike upside down so many times, I just want to kill him. I, I'm so <laughs> tired of this. It's not, It wasn't interesting the first time, but it's really not interesting the 4,000th time. Yeah. The only halftime performer they have. Get some new performers. That's get Red so Panda. Funny. Yeah. Well, you got to get 2021 for that. That's when they for added the, the cool halftime shows, 2K2021. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding. I'm oh. just making a joke. <laughs> I would have believed you. Yeah. They seem to sink a significant amount of development time into that based on how much they make you watch. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, it's... Oh, sports games. Yeah. All right. I've, I've one last quick video game thing. So last night for the first time I played Among Us, which speaking of zeitgeists, Among Us is truly like right now, this is its moment. Yes. Um, yes. I had never played it before and had heard a lot about it. And it was really fun. It reminded me a lot of like Mafia or uh, Ultimate Werewolf or what are some other games like that? A little bit like Secret Hitler. Um, it was pretty good. And it's nice because you can play it online with friends. So I had like some work friends I hadn't seen in a while. We did a call and played Among Us and yeah, it was good. So would recommend yeah, I haven't played it yet. I had contemplated picking it up, but I wasn't sure uh, if I I didn't know anyone before this. Like, I didn't know anyone who had it. So now that you have it, yeah, I might uh, I might pick it up and then I might jump in a game with you because it, it yeah, looks it like be, fun. It would be fun to organize a game, yeah. Um, but I feel like you need a group of like five people because it'd be weird to have like two people you knew and then strangers. I think. Yes, yes. And apparently, it 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 uh integrates with discord nicely we just we were on like a regular video call and did it but um i guess there's some integration with discord so that because you're only supposed to be able to see and talk to each other during certain sections right um so i need to look into how that's done but yeah it's good and also it's free if you don't get it on your computer it's free so I so if i get it on my playstation it's i don't even know oh, if i don't know is it on the playstation on the phone it's free is what i should have said oh, God. the app is free and it's a little clunky so i'm and it's only five dollars on the computer i think so if i were to play it more i'd probably just buy it yeah, that was my thought too. Is I'd just get it from the Steam store. Yeah, so I don't know. I may I may come back to that, but now I'm gonna convince some of my college friends to play Among Us. Hopefully, okay, very cool. Yeah, it's it certainly good. had its moment. It's just skyrocketed yeah. in 2020. It's a real. Uh, it it isn't the first game that's gone through this, but it's it's one of those uh, sort of a sleeper game. Like it came out two or three years ago. And oh, did it? there was some, that. yeah, it's, it's been out for a couple of years. And at the time when it first came out, it got some publicity and people were like, this is a pretty fun game. It's interesting, but it just didn't take off. And then for some yeah. reason it was rediscovered. Well, I guess the reason is pretty obvious. We're all stuck at home. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just got rediscovered in 2020 and, and people have really gotten hooked on it and it's a, just a fun social game. So I can, yeah, it's very cool. I watched a couple of YouTube videos yesterday of people playing it. Like I never thought I would be watching game video games online of like people just playing the game. Like Dunkey is highly edited. It's not yeah. just playthroughs. Um, but the games are only like 10 to 20 minutes and there is a lot of strategy and watching how people play is really interesting. It's like watching another group of people play mafia, except that a lot of what they have to do is visual. Like you see how they're moving around on the screen and making decisions about where to go because that's kind of what happens in between rounds. So there there is a lot to watch. I don't know. I may actually end up watching more of those. <sighs> yeah, I know it's popular with the streamers. Like it's as it may be a game that's as fun to watch other people play as it is to play yourself. I'm not sure. 
I feel like the more I play, the more I will appreciate the strategy. I have a long way to go, though. I'm not I'm not an expert yet. Yeah. I could see myself getting incredibly into this, though. This is yeah. just, like, very much up my alley. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I've, I think it's a game... I think it's a game where it's it's easy to get started with, but it takes a while to master, and there are a lot yeah. of, like, mechanics to learn if you really want to get good at it. So I guess when you're the imposter, there's, like, a number of different things you can do to, to cover your tracks and yeah. confuse the other other uh, people on, to, on the ship. You also, not to get, like, too deep into it, but it does seem very helpful to understand a lot of nuances about the physical objects on the ship because the mm. imposter interacts with them slightly differently than other people, but it's manifests itself in different ways depending on what the things are so you kind of need to have that knowledge in your head in order to figure out who's who uh, or in order not to be obvious as the imposter i see i wasn't aware of that it makes sense yeah so anyway among us uh, hopefully i'll have another update on all right should we hit should we hit our big topic for today your desk yes. setup we have to we right, have to all right so before the show greg sent me a photo of his desk I haven't seen yet, so now I'm going to open it, and uh, I'll make like a loud gasping noise as I'm impressed once <laughs> my messages app opens. Wow, this is pretty good. Wow, yeah. this is so professional. I particularly like the textbooks. <laughs> Serious stuff. Yeah, the textbooks holding up one of your monitors, yeah. Yeah. I want to I wanna give you a moment to really this like take good. it in. Yeah, and I then... have to appreciate it. Yeah, and you've actually kept so much of the surface really clean. I'm impressed. Yeah, maybe that's just because it's still so new. I might like this might become the whole bunch of like holding stuff, but we'll see. Yeah, it I'm good. super yeah. pleased by it. It's very large, yeah. Oh yeah, it's really big. It's really big. And the textbooks are only temporary at least for this monitor. Mm-hmm. I made the mistake of not double checking my monitor to see if it was visa mount compatible oh uh, yeah and it's a dell monitor which i guess are not often visa compatible like i'm not sure i it seemed to be a problem when i googled it people are like why isn't my dell monitor visa compatible so i ordered two monitor arms and when they got here i did the first monitor and i went it went really easy and i'm like great this looks excellent just one more to go i'm really loving this and i flipped the monitor behind i'm like where are the visa? Where are the visa mount holes? What's going on here? I'm like looking, and I'm like maybe they're under the stand. So I'm like start taking apart. I'm like no, they're not here. Uh-oh. So then I get on the computer and I'm like Dell model whatever visa mount, and it was like you need an adapter. I'm like damn it, didn't know that. So yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, I've, n- so- I've never used one of those mounts. So what's what's the advantage of using a visa mount over the the built-in stand? Uh, it's just so that I can put it up on a monitor arm and then that, well, I can adjust the height of the monitor as I see, as I want to, which is kind of helpful, which to, I'll get to why that's helpful in a minute. But then you can also rotate from landscape to portrait your, your Mm. monitor, which is sometimes nice. Oh yeah, for sure. You can move it around. You can just, it gives, and it clears the space under the monitor so it's going to be up on an arm so in front of me i could put some other stuff if i want well, yeah, to but what do you mount the arm to oh it come it it comes with a back plate so the visa there's a visa plate a visa mount yeah. plate and that goes into visa mount holes on the back of the monitor normally when the monitor is is equipped okay. to do this so you screw the mat you screw the plate in to the back of the monitor and then the plate has 
uh, I'm not sure how to describe oh, but, it. Yeah. Okay. So that, I mean, that basically makes sense. But what is the other side of the arm attached to your desk? My the desk. Wall? It's at the bottom of the desk. Okay. So is it a clamp? Correct. You could have oh, done. So that's the, why it's smaller footprint. Okay, okay. Yeah. You could do it where you, rather than a clamp, there's an alternative method, but you have to like drill a hole in your desk. And I wasn't yeah. interested in doing that. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, okay, I, was, I see the appeal. Did mis- I was confused by the what exactly you were asking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry, no, that's what because I was wondering why it was better not to have the stand. But of course, if you have a clamp, you don't need as big a stand. Yeah, yeah. The footprint of my monitor is probably the largest monitor footprint I've ever seen. It's a giant, like, three-legged setup, like a tripod, and it takes up, if you counted it as a rectangle, it probably takes up, like, two square feet or something, like a huge amount of space. It takes up, like, half my desk, it feels like. So I, I could see the appeal here. Yeah, yeah. So definitely a huge, huge benefit in terms of space savings. Mm-hmm. I really like that the arm is adjustable because this is a sit-stand desk. It is a desk ah, that I can yeah. uh, raise and lower um, so that I can that stand when I'm working. With, But with that, when I go into the standing mode, I want my monitor to be like an inch and a half higher up compared to when I'm sitting. So, And these monitor arms I got are really nice. It's easy. I can just right underneath it, just slightly push it up, and then the monitor is right at my eye line, exactly where I want it. And then when I go back into sitting mode, I just take push on the top, push it down a little bit, and then we're right back uh, mm-hmm. where we should be. So it's really nice for that. It's really nice for that. Yeah, this looks like a big improvement. Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's I honestly, I can't even describe how big of a quality <laughs> of life improvement it is over my previous desk. Part yeah. of it, too, is I got a better chair. So, like, yeah, the combination of the so chair big. with the desk, it's, like, incredible. If you have been holding off on upgrading your desk setup, pull the trigger. Seriously, it is such a game changer. I should have did this months ago, really. Yeah. Um, now, I did go with an outrageously large desk, which when I yes. first got everything in the mail, I was like, oh, my, I made a mistake. I was like, I made a huge <laughs> mistake. That was my initial reaction when I saw how long the box was holding like the top what, of the desk. Is it like six by three? It is 80 inches by 30 inches. Which is what? Se- almost seven. Yeah. Yeah. Almost eight foot. Right. Seven by two and a half. Yeah. So wow. they, I got this desk from Uplift. That's the company uh, Uplift. Okay. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And they have varying sizes. I think like 48, 60. 72 80 and then up to 80 80 is the largest and my other desk that i have was like almost 60 inches and every time i would like look at it and you know try to picture what it would be to be 80 inches i was always like yeah 80 is the way to go like 72 like if you're going to 72 you might as well to go to 80 that's what i go to 100 yeah (laughs) exactly no so then i get all and it was so funny (laughs) i get all these boxes and i'm like Oh gosh. I was like, this is, this is going to be a problem. This is so big. And the the part that made it even, even funnier was the whole time Mary and I discussed it and she's like, do you really need 80 inches? That seems like way too large. And I'm like, well, I need it. It's my desk. Like you don't understand. I have to sit at this desk all the time and I need the 80 inches. So as I'm like pulling everything in, you could just tell she's like, you shouldn't have got 80 inches. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, like once I got it all assembled and got it into place, it's not 
It's not too big. It's obviously huge, but it's great. I really, really like having all the space. Yeah, it'll keep you from getting too cluttered, I think. That's what I find about bigger surfaces. I can I can confine the clutter to a small part of the big surface. Right. And it's super nice, too, where um, I have multiple laptops. I have, like... Things that other things I might want to set up, and now there's just plenty of space. So if I want if I want one of my laptops docked, but I want the other one open because I'm doing something else mm. on it, it's easy. Like there's yeah. plenty of space. I can easily spread out, and like I don't feel all cramped. Um, yeah, it's really really great for that. I have been thinking about getting a desk of some sort because right now what I have is an IKEA table, and the whole table and the legs together were like forty bucks or something. And it's all nicked up and looks bad. And that kind of thing bugs me. Like, I just don't like Because it's a black desk, but then because it's cheap IKEA furniture, when it gets nicked, it's like a lighter color underneath. And so it just looks all flecked and bad. And, and it's a little bit wobbly, which drives me crazy. So when I bump my desk, it wobbles and makes some noise because my speakers bounce back and forth. And I just want, like, a nicer thing. So I'm, ah, I'm very tempted. I'll probably think about this over Christmas. Oh, yeah. Well, I can send you the the one that I got wire cutter recommended so you know it's quality oh yeah you know yeah, yeah. okay well it's, i will have to take that under consideration and yeah i mean my recommendation to you is is find the size that works for you and, and do it like go get one get the sit stand you're not gonna regret it you're gonna yeah. you're go- and if you don't if you have a cheap ikea chair because that's what i had was a cheap ikea chair i would strongly recommend you look into a better chair because no, that I, is I keep going. as as big of a of a, an improvement in terms of my my quality of life as as the desk itself the chairs is you know i understood that better chairs are better for your posture but i once you actually have a really nice office chair it's like just a dream to sit in it's so much easier to stay in good posture it's easy to get to uh arrange the armrest and the height of the chair exactly where you want it it's so good it's so good I am 100% with you. I do have a very nice chair. That was one of the big things I uh, prioritized when I first moved to Chicago. I just hunted on Craigslist constantly. And I found a, a very old model of what is kind of a famous chair, the Herman Miller Aeron. Hey, um, I'm sitting on a Herman Miller Aeron. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's the best. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so good. It's I, so I really good. wanted that one. The modern ones are super expensive, but I found one from like 2000 that somebody was selling. It's in perfect condition. That's uh, nice. And it is incredibly comfortable. Yeah, that was yeah. such an upgrade. It was really hard for me to decide to get it because you're right, it is so expensive. I did not. I actually got it from Herman Miller because oh, yeah. I wasn't finding anything on Craigslist where I'm at, and I just didn't want to wait any longer. I was like, I'm yeah. ready to do this. I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah, but I do feel like I bought quality. Like I bought a chair that's going to last me at least ten years, easy, and probably longer yeah. than that. I made one mistake in buying it, and it's that I got the medium size, which is size-wise perfectly fine for me, but weight-wise not enough. Maybe it's just because the old chair, the springs are a little worn, but it even now as I sit in it, it is always leaning back quite a bit. And I'm, I'm like at the top of the weight range for the medium chair, but... I, it must be between age. Also, I have like short legs and a long torso. So I wonder if like my upper body is too heavy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's just always leaning back. So I can't get it to like sit straight up and down. If I, there's just no way I can get the chair to sit straight up and down. So that's my one, one regret. So maybe someday I'll upgrade to a chair that can accommodate a heavier human. Yeah, I would. I'm going to guess that has to do with age. Because I bought the medium sized chair uh, from Herman Miller. And in terms of weight and height, like it fits me fine. So I don't think it, 
I don't see why it wouldn't have fit you fine. I mean, I'm sure the model has changed over time, so maybe the specifications were different in 2000. But uh, yeah, I think that if you do go for the like a chair upgrade, I would be curious if you tried the other Herman Miller chair that's quite famous. I don't it's, know what that is. Uh, let me let me look it up. It's I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Uh, hang on here. Embody. So they have oh, the. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. There's the Arion, and that's super popular. But then their second most popular one is the Embody, and they're pretty different in terms of design. And uh, I did a lot of research into which one I should pick up, and the sort of the consensus I got from reading things online was like the Arion is more customizable and it's more breathable as a chair mm. and it's more compact, which is nice. Whereas the Embody is if the, if the mold of the chair fits you well, it's incredibly comfortable to sit in because it has a different oh, type of foam. I've it's like four layers of, of foam. Um, Padding. Yeah, I'm not gonna get this one because okay. I I prioritize breathability so much. I get I just overheat all the time. So yeah. the mesh was key. That's I agree, and that's why that's what helped me decide on the Arion as well was that mm. I really like the breathability of it. Um, but yeah, huge upgrade in chair. Definitely recommend. It's certainly an investment, but I think it's worth it. I've already seen a huge improvement in just a week of sitting on it. Yeah, that's great. I do think it's one of the smartest investments you can make. I always have a hard time talking to people who don't see the value. It's like, yes, you probably should spend four times as much on this as you would on like a regular chair because you're going to sit in this all day, every day when you're working from home. Yeah, That was my thought too. It's the same type of thought process that goes into when you buy a bed or maybe Mm -hmm. when you buy a couch. You're like, if I'm going to use this nearly every day, I should make an investment in quality and make sure that it, it gives me, it has good ergonomics that it supports me the way it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I went real cheap on my first desk chair combo cause I bought it uh, rather quickly and it was from Ikea and it's a fine chair. Honestly, it's not that bad. It's just not good when you need to sit in it all the time. And yeah. I went far too long. I should have upgraded the chair. I kind of wanted to do it all together because I just, I don't know. I sort of built it up where I'm like, I'm going to do this whole re like makeover of yeah. my desk setup so i was like let me wait let me wait let me wait but i really should have bought the chair months ago yeah no i i feel that i waited a little too long for the chair too because i just watched craigslist craigslist for months and it was a real pain in the meantime but yeah. once i got it man i was glad right right yeah so huge huge uh upgrade strongly recommend uh yeah we'll have to you'll have to update me next time we chat on if you whether or not you pulled the trigger on the desk before we move on though you sent me a picture of your podcasting setup so this isn't your desk this is just where you're currently podcasting and it's not great (laughs) it's not great it's it's not terrible either i see room for improvement i'll put it that way there's a lot of opportunity at all No, there is no room. There's room for improvement. There's no physical room on this desk. Uh, So what is this? You're sitting, it's on a, it's like a white tabletop. Is this a table that, is this the table? This isn't the black desk table that you're talking. This is a smaller version of the black desk table. I mean, they're both the same product from Ikea. This one is obviously white. Yeah, this was my first desk in Cincinnati when I first graduated college and put together an apartment. And yeah, I, I just like found a table I could buy at Ikea and set it up in my apartment and eventually realized I needed a bigger one and I wanted it to be black. So that's where I got the other. 
but they were both really cheap and junky and it's time for something better but this one sits in my bedroom which is extremely small like my queen bed takes up almost the entire room and then this is just kind of smushed in the corner and they're so close together there's about six inches in between small enough that you can't like squeeze between them so this room is all very tight but it's my only carpeted room in my apartment and basically where i have to podcast from so here i am oh and there's no convenient outlets and i don't want to set up any like permanent power stuff here because the only thing i ever plug in is my laptop for when i do podcasts so it seems kind of silly so Mm -hmm. the whole thing is just extremely temporary i see well i think that the desk now that you've explained it I do think that the form factor of this desk makes is is nice for a podcast setup. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not even joking because the one thing about this desk when it comes to this mic arm is I have this mic arm completely extended and you've seen me fiddling with it as we've talked oh, to yeah. try to get it to exactly where I can speak and it looks effortless for you like you can exactly set up the mic how you need to versus yes. mine it's like fully extended springs are fully extended i've had to perfectly adjust it so that that's one the smaller desks are much better for that you're right yeah but the one thing that sticks out to me is uh the lack of a monitor which maybe you don't feel like you need but i feel like that would be a big improvement if you like put a monitor on an arm here like that would really improve your podcast setup I don't know. Like right now, it just doesn't bother me much for podcasting. Like I do. I mean, I'm a huge, I need a monitor guy, but for podcasting, it's like I have show notes open on one side and the video on the other. And then under the video audacity. And that's pretty much everything I need. If I did more work here, it would drive me insane, but it's okay. That's fair. That makes sense. I see you've, you've pushed the Logitech, uh, Bluetooth keyboard to the side. Yeah, not for podcasting. I don't. I don't have any room here to have a keyboard fair. and mouse set up. There's no room to use the mouse. Yeah, I just use the computer. Stuff. So you'll see there's a cardboard box in the back, and that used to be where I would put my laptop. So I would elevate the laptop. So it was like having a monitor above and in front of me, and then put the keyboard and mouse right in front of me. Right. But I found that was just not really helpful and even more effort. Mm, I see. Okay. I got to get rid of that cardboard box. I've got precious, precious little real estate here already. I don't think I can afford it. I was going to ask, was that pride? Was that a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a, a makeshift laptop stand and you answered Yes. So and then you'll see in the very back, there's a mug that I just think is funny and nobody else I know does called slash dev slash mug. I like <laughs> that. It's joke. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, well, very cool. No, that's cool. I would want to see your desk too at some point. Uh, yeah, maybe Maybe I'll take a photo of my desk and include it in the... Well, here, let's let's just pause real fast. I'll go take a photo and we'll just edit this part out. All right, you ready for me to send it? Yes. Okay, the, the moment of suspense. Oh, this looks pretty nice. I see what you're saying now about your monitor stand. Yes, exactly. It's gigantic. Yeah, and you so should usually... definitely put that on an arm, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, maybe, I don't know. We can we can check these photos to make sure there's nothing sensitive in them. Maybe we can add them to the show notes. Um, there's a, there's definitely a mess of stuff in the right. I don't know if you can tell, but there's actually a smaller table under the desk. I was just about to ask. <laughs> yeah, there's an enormous power strip there, and, and maybe 12 things are plugged in so much. And then there's actually a really bright light that isn't turned on in that picture, that faces the power strip so i can flip that on and actually see all my stuff for power and then also you can see there's an apple watch charger and a phone charger there in the corner yeah i see that 
Yeah, I also see that on. you have the a keyboard attachment. Oh, that that's such out. a game changer. They're so expensive, but they're so good. Yeah, the Uplift Desk sells one. So that's kind of part of their uh, strategy is they like sell you on a desk, which mm-hmm. is a, really nice. Like I, I don't have any complaints. There is like one small blemish on a small part of one side of the desk mm. that came when it shipped to me, but I'm just going to overlook it, try to yeah. act like it's not there. But they sell you a lot of attachments and accessories that can go on your desk, and one of them is a keyboard tray like this. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that they're well. You know, it, it really depends on what you find important. But for me, the biggest thing about ergonomics is wrists, and I need my hands to be below my elbows, and I need my hands to be facing down, and that's only possible with an under table uh, keyboard tray. I find. Right. So that's important. Yeah, and and I do use that a lot, and it's nice because. <laughs> It's not the best one ever, even though it's fairly expensive. It's hard to slide it in and out, but I do slide it in when I'm like exercising in that room because that's also my gym. So it's nice to be able to sort of get it under the table fully and out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, that was one thing I was concerned about too when I like set this desk up. I spent uh, a ridiculous amount of time like sitting in my chair, mm. m- moving my desk up and down and like moving different components of the chair up and down because I wanted to have a slightly bent elbow where my wrist is lower than the, uh, the yeah, my elbow. Yeah. And I've achieved that not to the same degree that you're going to get with a, um, under the, under the desk keyboard tray. But I think it, I think it works for, for now, perhaps I've never been a keyboard tray user. Uh, but maybe, maybe one day I got one at the office and I immediately realized how much of a difference it made. And I was like, I need to buy one at home immediately. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem is I haven't tried one. If I were to try one, I'd be like, oh, this is this. I would be on Uplift's website immediately, like grabbing these. That is what happens. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. So it's a dangerous game. Okay. Okay. Well, this has been a. Yeah, that's been a lot. That's good. Yeah. This has been fun though. So I'm going to send you an update at some point. I'm hoping that sometime very soon i will because i just got the adapter monitor adapter thing i need to put a visa mount on my main monitor so I'm hoping to get these textbooks out of here and get this up on an arm <laughs> nice. um so i'll have to show you it when it's the when it's the final form uh but yeah the other thing though is like if you're currently at a desk and you know you're not going to drop a whole bunch of money to upgrade and you're not going to put stuff up on arms if you have any old textbooks lying around, man, put those underneath your monitor. Seriously, it makes a huge difference in bringing the, the monitors, monitors are to... too low. I don't yeah, agree. Yeah, it's not made for makes regular no humans. Makes no sense. Monitors should be at your eye level. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Totally. I mean, I've had to put. I have my laptop on uh, the M stand, aluminum laptop stand. That's a pretty popular one. I got it years ago, and it works fine. But I even have to put a, a textbook under the stand. Yeah. to bring it up to my eye level, which is funny because you think you buy a stand so that it brings it up to your eye level, but it's just not big enough. Yeah. I don't do laptop stands for my desk, as you can see. There's nowhere, there isn't one there. Um, and the reason is my monitor is like 29 inches or something, and I find the laptop looks so small, I need to bring it way closer to me. Because I, okay, so when I work, I slouch way down. I'm like lying down in my chair working. I find it easier on my back and actually just a lot easier on my back basically um but also just more comfortable in general and that means that the monitor has to be giant for me to see it from there and then that would mean that the laptop would have to be right up next to me which i wouldn't like so i'm just not going to do a laptop stand so if i ever get 
if I ever want more display space, I just need a second monitor and it needs to be huge. Yeah, I actually feel that too. My laptop stand, when I'm working, I pull it closer to me than I have my other monitors for this exact mm-hmm. reason. It just feels like it's too small. Or I zoom in on everything that's that I leave on yeah. that monitor. But I just use it as a tertiary monitor where I'm like, I don't put what I'm actively working on there. Just put it like reference stuff normally or like my email if I see anything come through or whatever. Uh, but where I could see my desk going is once I have these textbooks out of here, these two monitors are up on an arm looking into, which I did briefly and I'm still surprised, but looking into a USB-C, uh, dock that I can dock my laptop recently as well. I have not, there has been no positive developments though on the PC dock front or the, sorry, USB-C dock front because one is they don't support enough monitors. A lot of them don't support enough monitors. And they're still very expensive for what I don't think provides a whole lot of value. I just have a couple of adapters sticking out of my laptop that do the exact thing that these... I know. It just looks bad. But it does. But that's where I am too. Yeah. But if I'm going to spend upwards of two to 300 bucks on a dock, I need to be able to attach three monitors to it. Easy. Like, that just needs to happen. But most of them support only two yeah you are right yeah i i've thought about getting it because i'm not sure i'll ever go past two but maybe i will so maybe i should be more careful yeah i just think for that much i i want to have the option to go to it because where i could see this going is if i get a dock i could put the dock here i could dock the laptop in and then where my laptop currently sits i could have a third monitor so then i'll have Mm -hmm. three monitors around and that would be yeah exactly real nice real nice because then i could go like probably go even bigger for my primary and then move this over to the right. So then I could have like a real nice big primary and then like two smaller uh, yeah. ones on the, on the wings. I, I think I would like that, but <laughs> I have to have a dock to support me and there's just nothing out there. I have my eye on one, but it's a two monitor one. So yeah, I, I would love to see it come farther. I think with USB four, there is hope you wait. It's thunder. It's yeah. USB. No Thunderbolt four. And USB 4? Whatever, whatever the new one is. I think it's Thunderbolt 4, which comes with USB 4. It's so confusing. It is. Um, but I think that with Thunderbolt 4 on the new laptops, it's now possible. Okay. Well, I I've think. seen a lot of people say, just having a third, like, dock your laptop and then just use an adapter on another side of the Yeah, what's laptop. the point then? Yeah. That's, that's what the, I said. I'm like, well, I don't... of the dock, getting rid of the wires. Exactly. Well, they're like, well, if you want a third monitor, that's what you have to do. And I'm like, well, no, it just no, sounds no. like you haven't solved my problem yet. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> useless. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, that was fun. I had, yeah. was looking forward to sharing about my desk and just <laughs> no, talking about it. That was great. <laughs> okay. I think we should probably call it for the day. It's been a long one. Yeah, it has. I wish we could talk more, but I agree. The, the episode is is already too long. (laughs) Yeah, we'll save some material for next time. Okay, cool.